for us before we get to our passage today. Father, we are humbled that you would save any of us, Lord. We're so thankful this morning for your sovereign grace that has brought us to you and keeps us and will ultimately bring us home at last to you. What a privilege to know you. What a privilege to study your word together this morning. I pray that you would be with us now. Open our eyes to the glory of our salvation in Christ, to the sovereign reality of how you have saved us and adopted us into your family, and help us to sit in awe and wonder at what we're going to see this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Open up to Ephesians chapter 1. It's quite common if you watch movies or read novels uh, to have a character in whatever movie it is or novel you're reading, TV show, it's, it's quite common to have those characters uh, assume a new personal identity. And so what typically happens is that person will encounter some trouble and they'll, he or she will move to a new place and they'll, they'll change their name and they'll try to live a new life, but inevitably the old life catches up with them and they, uh, they end up uh, struggling a bit and um, it's really hard uh, to escape and, and, and completely change your identity. Um, and that's hard in the movies, but in real life it's nearly impossible. I actually looked this up this week as I was preparing for this to see what you could do to change your personal identity and assume a completely new identity and a new uh, situation in life and to leave the old life and the old identity behind. And it's, it's pretty much impossible to do that. Um, you can legally change your name, and it's actually not that expensive to do that, surprisingly enough. Uh, you can legally change your name, but if you try to change your social social security number, that's pretty much impossible. There's only a couple of reasons that they will let you do that. And even if you meet one of the criteria and you're able to change your social security number and assume a new name and a new identity, it creates loads of paperwork for you. Filing taxes is hard enough, but if you change your social security number, it's pretty much impossible to do. And your new number will be linked to your old number anyway. And so you really can't get out of those unpaid parking tickets. <laughs> They're going to follow you. And so you may as well just go ahead and pay them and move on. That's what's going to happen. And so it's hard to change your identity. And if you do, it's going to carry on with you, creates quite a, a, a bit of difficulty for you. But imagine for a second if changing your identity opened up a massive load of new benefits and blessings for you. Not only did you not have to pay those parking tickets, you were free from the, the financial burden of paying all of those parking tickets, but when you assumed your new identity, you actually became a member of a family of billionaires. You got around the parking tickets, and now you had access to the family lake house and the family BNW and all the benefits that come from being a part of a, of a new family. Of course, that is exactly what has happened to us, right? 
I mean, spiritually speaking, we have assumed the new identity. We have been adopted into a new family. But assuming that new identity is not something that you can decide to do on your own. It's something that God has done for you and in you. He changes who you are. And he gives you every possible benefit of being a part of this new family. If you're open to Ephesians, look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, you can think of verse 3 as sort of the title or the heading. It sets the theme for verses 3 through 14. And what's amazing about verses 3 through 14, that it probably does not reflect this in your Bible, but it's pretty clear in, in the Greek that this is one sentence. It's one giant run-on sentence, verses 3 through 14. There are 202 words in Greek in this one sentence. And so diagramming this sentence, I didn't even give a go at it. <laughs> Nearly impossible. But verse 3 is sort of the title to the sentence. It's setting up everything that's going to follow in this sentence. And Paul begins here by praising God for the spiritual blessings or the spiritual benefits that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. And in verse 3, there are several key ideas that I want you to notice before we get to the meat of what we're going to talk about this week and next week in verses 4 through 14. But in verse, verse 3, there's, there's several things I want you to notice. First of all, notice that these blessings come to us in Christ. I mean, look there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, where? In Christ. In other words, your new personal identity is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. It's wrapped up with him. We are now located in the mind of God, in the eyes of God. You and I are located, we're covered in Jesus Christ. And so what happens to him happens to us. We receive what happens to Christ because we're in him. We're covered by him. And that's an important phrase there. I know it's just a preposition, the word in. It doesn't seem to be that important. But if you read through these verses, you're going to see that language pervade this sentence that Paul gives us. In Christ, with Christ, in him. All of these benefits only come to you and only come to me if you are located in Christ, if you are identified with him. You and I have nothing on our own and nothing apart. From Jesus Christ. But notice what type of benefits these are. Look there. He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. These are spiritual benefits. So this new identity doesn't give you necessarily physical blessings and physical benefits. You don't get money. You don't get fame. You don't get Instagram followers by being in Christ. These are spiritual blessings, but don't think of these blessings as emotional or internal. That's not what this word spiritual means here. These blessings come to us through the work of the Holy Spirit, through his agency and his work. 
And we have the Holy Spirit because we are in Christ. And finally, these blessings in verse 3, they flow to us from the heavenly places. He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Ephesians 2 and verse 6, you don't have to flip over there, but it tells us that Christ is seated now in the heavenly places, and we are seated with him. And so what this tells us is that we are going to, in the future, when we arrive fully, physically with him in heaven, then we are going to fully receive those benefits. But these benefits come to us now. Even though they're in the heavenly places with Christ, they come to us now. And we can begin to appropriate these and realize them in our daily lives this week by faith. And so what, what are these benefits I mean, it's every spiritual blessing. It's in Christ. These are heaven. They're located in the heavenly places. They flow to us now, even though we're not yet in heaven with Christ fully and physically, like we will be one day. So what are these benefits? And that's what the rest of this sentence is going to spell out for us in verses 4 through 14. There are going to be three benefits that come to us. And each of these benefits is going to call us to praise God in response for what he has given us. I mean, that's how this starts, right? Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is calling us to praise God, and he's calling us to praise God because of what he has done for us, the blessings we have received. And you'll see that that the phrase that, uh, there's, a, there's a phrase that is repeated three times in this, and it ends each of the sections. So look down at verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Look down at verse 12, to the praise, so that we might, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be, to the praise of his glory, very similar phrase there, and then verse 14, it ends with, to the praise of his glory. And so Paul has sort of sectioned this off into three sections, each of these sections giving us a benefit. And what's amazing about this is each of the sections focuses on a different member of the Trinity. So the first section is about God's work. The second section is about the work of Jesus Christ. And then the third section is about the work of the Holy Spirit. And so it's a a masterfully written sentence here that calls us to praise and worship the triune God for the spiritual benefits that you and I have received because of our new identity in Christ. So this is what we're going to see. Three benefits of our new identity that call us to praise God. We're going to look at one of these this week, and then we'll look at the last two next week. Three benefits that three benefits of our new identity that call us to praise God. And the first one of these is found in verses 4 through 6. And this benefit is that you and I are adopted into God's family. So verses 4, 5, and 6, when you put these verses together and they're meant to be read together, these verses give us a powerful, compelling picture of God graciously, by his own initiative, giving us our new identity and bringing us into his family, making us members of his family. Now, over the years, Bethany and I have lived several places, and we've known uh, quite a few believers in different churches, and we've known many people who have adopted children. Um, 
Some have done it internationally. Uh, one of our previous pastors adopted a child from Ethiopia, um, an, a friend uh, from China, um, just all over the place. And then some have done adoption domestically. And I think it's fairly common for Christians to, uh, to do adoption. And I don't think it's accidental. Um, I think it's because we recognize that the act of adopting a child is exactly what has happened to us, spiritually speaking. It's because we have been adopted by God into his family that there's a compulsion now to give that grace and to act that same thing out to a child in need. I mean, that's exactly what has happened to us. You and I have literally changed families. We have different parents now. Look how it's described, our old situation in Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were, by nature, born into this world, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We were children of wrath. You and I were born that way, in one family, with the sons of disobedience. And we were acting on that identity and that family lifestyle. But God stepped in, and he changed the family membership for every single believer. And here's the reality of adoption, right? I mean, here, here's what happens in adoption. Adoption doesn't happen by the initiative and the choice of the child. That's not how it works. The child doesn't choose the parents, especially spiritually speaking. We are born exactly as Ephesians 2 describes us. We are born hating God. We are born opposed to him. We want nothing to do with his family. We're delighted with our family that we're running with and living like. So we want nothing to do with him, but, but look how Ephesians 1.4 describes it. Here's the first blessing. Even as he chose us in him. This is one of the primary spiritual benefits that you and I receive. God selected us and chose us to be in Christ, to be united with him. Now, this is not the first time this idea of God's election or his sovereign choice comes up in Scripture, is it? I mean, if you've read your Old Testament at all, this is all over the Old Testament. This is the way God works. It's filled with God's gracious choice of people who were not interested in him, and yet he set his affection on them brought them into a relationship with him. Think about Abraham. God chose Abraham. He called him out of Ur, not because Abraham was particularly holy, was particularly predisposed to love God, but he chose him for his own purposes. You think about later in the book of Genesis, he chose Jacob, the younger, and not the older Esau. And Romans 9 tells us that that choice was not based on anything good. That, that they had done. They hadn't done anything yet, but it was based on God's sovereign will and his pleasure. And maybe the clearest example of this is the one that is all over the Old Testament, the nation of Israel. I mean, look what God says to Israel in Deuteronomy 7. 
For you are a people holy, set apart. That's what that word holy means. You are set apart. You are distinct to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And this is clear, the same, same idea is clear here in Ephesians 1.4. God did not set his love on us because of our faith that he foresaw or some good works that he knew we would do. It says right here in verse 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. His choice of us is based on his free and sovereign will before time. Now, keep in mind the context here. Why is Paul talking about this? Why is he explaining this to us? He's explaining the benefits that we have received. He's calling us to praise God for what has been done. He's reminding us, he's telling us to recall God's gracious choice to save us. And he's doing that to give us assurance and to give us confidence and to ground us in something other than ourselves and our own ability and our own faith. God's choice of us, my salvation is not dependent on me. It's not based on me and my strength. It's based on God and his purposes. And I think what happens here with with passages like this in the New Testament or even in the Old Testament, I think we lose Paul's primary goal here is for us to be amazed at this, at the grace of God and to praise God and to just go, How could this happen? I can't believe that this has happened to me. And that's his goal here. But I think we we stop praising God and we lose the wonder and the joy that comes from this when we turn this into something that's ultimately based on me and my abilities. And I think we turn this into something about us when we start in the wrong point. And here's what I mean by that. So we tend to think about salvation and God's election as a crowd of people who are trying to get into the door of heaven. And God is standing there, and we think, well, God just goes, okay, you come in, you come in, you come in. Everyone else, sorry. But that's not the starting point. That's not how this works at all. The real situation is exactly how Ephesians 2 describes it. You and I are running in the opposite direction. Every man, woman, and child that's born into this world is running toward destruction and toward wrath and screaming out at God the entire time, I hate you, I want nothing to do with you, I want things to be the way I want them. And we're all running in the opposite direction, and God very graciously in his sovereign will reaches out and turns some of us to him and gives us salvation and adopts us into his family. One author said it this way, the real problem is not why he had not chosen some, but why he chose any. No wonder God is to be praised. And don't lose sight of the point of this this morning. It's that God is to be praised. The real problem that each of us should be grappling with this morning 
And you should feel deep in your heart is, why did he choose me? Why did he choose me? Now, of course, it, it doesn't stop there, which is, is what's so wonderful about this sentence. It just keeps coming at you. 202 words of it. God's choice of us for salvation doesn't stop with just that choice. Look at what he intends to do in us. Verse 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Election to salvation is a privilege, but that privilege brings with it a new set of desires and responsibilities. We are to walk now as those who are set apart, as those who are holy. We are to walk as those who are morally blameless, and we're to do that out of love. Everything we do is colored with love now. And that change of lifestyle, that change of the way we live, the way we walk, is because now we're part of a new family, the new identity. And this is what's described in verse 5. Look at verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now here's the ultimate goal of election, of God's choice of us. When he turns us around from running in the opposite direction away from him, what does he intend to do with us? Well, he adopts us into his family. Election is for adoption. Here's the goal. Here's the end game. Sometimes you think, it, it, we can be tempted to think of election as something that is, is sort of arbitrary and cold. But in reality, it's actually a very personal, warm reality. The word predestination here just simply means to, to choose beforehand. Before time began, God set his love on you and on me and decided that we would be members of his family, that we would be adopted. Now, that word adoption, um, we tend to think of that in a particular way. When we adopt today, we adopt small children most of the time. The vast majority of adoptions that happen today are small children being adopted into a family. But that's not what happened in the Roman Empire, which is, I think, the paradigm that Paul is working off of here. In the Roman Empire, nearly all of those who were adopted were adults when they were adopted. And they were adopted into a wealthy and powerful family, and they were adopted because there was no heir, and they were to take the privileges of being in that new family, and they were to take the responsibilities. And so this adopted son was to now manage the family wealth and the family business because there was, there was no heir. So someone needed to do it. So this person was adopted into the new family. And in fact, many times... This person's biological father was still alive when this happened. And so this wasn't an orphan. It was someone who very much had a family, but they were being taken into a new family and adopted into a new family. And so because of this, there was this entire ceremony that took place. And it showed the break with one's old family and the new identity, the new relationships that this person, this adoptee, was assuming in the new family. So the adoptee's natural father, his biological father, lost all control over him and responsibility over him. And the new father now assumed complete control of his life. 
And that may seem crazy to us, but it was a really good deal for the adoptee. You didn't do this. It didn't happen to you because it was disadvantageous to you. This person gained a lot. They gained wealth, they gained power, and they gained status that they would not have had before. And so even as I describe that, there can be a danger in thinking of adoption that is just something that happens at the moment of salvation. We've been adopted into God's family. But it's so much bigger and it's so much broader than that. Adoption is not just a legal transaction. It's not just the moment of justification where we're, we're saved. It is a legal transaction. There is a moment when you become a member of a new family, but you do change families in that moment of time. And so now you have a new identity and a new family and new relationships. And so in the Roman Empire, you didn't go back to your previous house. You didn't eat their food. You didn't sleep under their roof. You started living with your new family, eating their food, wearing their clothes, and you started adjusting to a completely different lifestyle because you were in a different family. Now, our adoption happens to us only because of Jesus Christ. Look what he says here. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only natural son of God. We're all adopted children of God. We relate to to God through Jesus Christ. And look at the last phrase of verse 5 here. This is why this change in identity has taken place for us according to the purpose, or you could translate that, the good pleasure of his will. God takes great delight and great joy in this process of adoption. It's not a cold legal transaction. God delights in giving sinners a new identity and bringing them into his family. And verse 6 helps us to understand the reality of what that really means that you're now in this family. Look at verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. We are now blessed, or you could say accepted, in the beloved. Of course, you've heard that term beloved before. That term is used to describe Jesus Christ throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament. A couple places, Mark 9, or Mark 1, verses 9 through 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, the spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The father loves the son, and he always has. John 17, where Jesus prays to the father, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And so you've got this relationship between the Father and the Son where the Father loves the Son and has always loved the Son. And throughout eternity past, they were enjoying one another and delighting in one another. You can see here, before the foundation of the world, this is what the members of the Trinity were doing, enjoying a relationship with one another through the Spirit. 
And of course, they will continue to delight and enjoy one another for all of eternity. And so what verse 6 is telling us, amazingly enough, is that you and I have been adopted and accepted in the beloved. And so we have ultimately been brought into the family of God. And now you and I experience the love that is between the Father and the Son. Because we are in Christ. We are favored and we are accepted because we're in him. And this is ultimately the real mission and the real goal of God's election of us, of his adoption of us into his family. This is the end game. This is what we're all headed toward. One author said it like this. Clearly, the salvation of this God is better even than forgiveness and certainly more secure. Other gods might offer forgiveness, but this God, the God of the Bible, welcomes and embraces us as his children, never to send us away. This is the goal of our adoption, a family relationship where we experience the love that the Father has for the Son and that the Son has for the Father through the work of the Spirit. It's an amazing thing. And so we started this morning to talk about the blessings that we have because of God's work on our behalf. And even as you're looking at these verses, right? I mean, election, adoption, accepted into God's family, all of that can seem very, very doctrinal and maybe a little bit abstract for you as you're sitting there this morning. Um, maybe it seems like that, that doesn't have a lot of bearing on my daily life. Sometimes maybe we just want people to tell, us, tell me what I've got to do this week. Five things that, that'll help me to be a better Christian this week. But I think this does have a massive bearing on our daily lives. This is about how we perceive ourselves and how we understand our identity. And there's a clear connection here between the praise that we offer to God in verse 6 to the praise of his glorious grace and the reality of our adoption. When we praise God for our, these benefits, which is what we're supposed to do, this is the response that we have as we start to understand the magnitude of what God has done for us, the grace that he has shown to us to choose us and adopt us and bring us into his family. When we start to grasp that and we start to praise him for that, then we're believing that these things are true. And, and that's, the, that's the rub, right? I mean, that's where these things really start to work themselves out in our lives. It's where we read these things and we go, that's true. That's reality. God really has chosen me. He really has adopted me into his family. Now, I'm accepted as the son is before the father. God loves me. And so our praise happens and our faith is built. And as our praise happens and our faith is built, then our identity is formed more and more. We begin to understand who we are now as being in Christ. We begin to understand what it actually means to be a part of this family and not that family. And all of that works together, the praise and the faith and the identity. And it builds us up. And so this passage is really about praising God, but it's instructional for us too. It teaches us how to think and how to live. Because as we read these 
markers of identity, as we read these benefits and we believe that these things are true, that this is describing reality in my life this week, then we start to appropriate these things by faith. We begin to live them out. What this means is now you and I have access to this father as a a son, as a daughter, as a family member. I can go to him. I can pray to him. I can seek his face. I can pour out my heart before him because I have access through Christ. Now I have assurance and confidence. I'm more and more assured that this is actually true of me because it's not based on me. It's not based on, did I believe enough? Did I say the right prayer? Did I verbalize it correctly? No, it's, it's based on, on Christ's work. It's based on God. And so I continually go back to him and I look to him and I look at what he has done because he is the initiator. He's the one that has chosen us. So I go to him in prayer because he took pleasure in adopting us. And I change my lifestyle. I live differently now. I reject the sinful ways of the old family. And I begin to live out this new identity. I pursue holiness. I want to walk in holiness. I want to be blameless in love. I want my life to look different now because I have a new family and a new identity. And I praise him. I rejoice in what he's done, in his glorious grace. And I love the way he phrases that in verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. His grace is seen as magnificent and glorious, and his grace is displayed in his election and his adoption and his bringing us into his family. This demonstrates the character of our God to us when we properly understand these things. So there's a lot here. And there's even more to come next week in verses 7 through 14. This is only the first benefit that you and I have received. And you could go and sit and think and pray through this benefit all day today and enjoy that time and praise God for that. We still have two more to go. And so I'm looking forward to this, looking forward to this study and what God will do in us as he reforms our identity and reforms who we are as members of his family. Let's pray. Father, we're amazed at what you have done. What a privilege to be a part of your family. We we just can't even begin to express what that means for us and the change. But we can praise you and rejoice in your glorious grace. Your full character is put on display in the way that you have saved us and adopted us. And we're so thankful for that. I pray that these realities would work their way into our souls. I pray that you would change us by these things, that we would more and more take on this new identity and it would reshape our lives this week. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.